This is the Finding Fins Fishing Podcast. How much direction are you getting from the governor? It generates something like two point four billion dollars. I don't know. Maybe you didn't want me to tell the story on the show, but I'm going to tell it anyway. I, I knew you were going to go there. Walleyes relating to deep mud, where there's schools of bait fish. Today's show is brought to you by Lake of the Woods Tourism. Plan your trip to Lake of the Woods at lakeofthewoodsmn.com. The Finding Fins Fishing Podcast is part of the Sporting Journal Radio family, where our mission is to hunt, fish, conserve, and do it all over again. Show off your pride for the outdoors with new gear from the Sporting Journal Radio store. Go to sportingjournalradio.com, click on store, and browse our selection of hoodies, hats, mugs, and more at sportingjournalradio.com. Well, the annual holiday known as the fishing opener here in Minnesota is back once again. And uh, the governor's fishing opener is, is it back? Is it kind of back? We're going to talk about that a little bit and just talk about the Minnesota fishing opener and fishing in general in Minnesota, too, with somebody who's been a part of it uh, in this state for a long time. Tom Newstrom, uh, Minnesota Fishing Connections, MN Fishing Connections. He's a guide out of Grand Rapids. He guides on more than 35 lakes and uh, spends a lot of time on a lot of different committees and advisory councils councils and DNR roundtable and minfish so I got probably a lot of questions for you Tom so I appreciate you giving us some time here today oh terrific Brett you know it's always uh, it's always good to share with people on the listeners uh, you know a little bit about stuff that we do and you know you don't always read about in the paper and you don't always hear about it on TV or whatever but you know the public has a right to to listen to some of the things that we provide and help to get accomplished you know, honestly, on a side note, I think that's one of the biggest struggles that I see in the outdoor industry, particularly in a state like Minnesota, where the outdoors are so important to the not only the residents of the state, but the non-residents that come here, the economic impact, the tourism impact that uh, fishing in particular, but also hunting has on this state. Yet, I feel like the majority of media outlets don't give it uh, don't give it ample time to explain some of the things that's going on. It's almost like a throwaway for them. You know, more and more newspapers have gotten rid of their outdoor writers. There's a couple left in the state. Uh, you know, I do this outdoor show. I know you do some outdoor radio. I feel like sometimes it's hard. You know, I would, I would hit up a lot of radio stations and be like, hey, I, I've got this, this little outdoor radio show. I've been in radio for a long time. I, I build it so it's a no-brainer for you to carry. It's simple. It's free. And I'm like, well, we got this other outdoor show. I'm like, yeah, fantastic. Let's have two of them. You know, it's it's important. Or do you want to play another uh, another country song that gets played 500 times, you know, a day? I feel like it's sometimes hard to get outdoor messaging out to the people that hunt and fish around here. So uh, I, I think that's one of the, the reasons I really like Men Fish because I think we need an organization like that that's uh, that stands up for outdoorsmen or, or anglers in, in this case for the state to help get some of those messages out. So uh, anyway, just a little side rant for you there uh, here on the show to get started because I, I think uh, I think there's so many people that like to hunt and fish yet sometimes it's hard to find that content unless you go to you know YouTube or something like that. Oh, and I, you know, I think that's an important uh, message, Brett. You know, I mean, Minfish was established to represent anglers. You know, we, we we don't really have a voice. I mean, anglers don't have a voice. Sure, you've got different individuals, groups. You've got Walleyes Unlimited. You've got uh, Smallmouth Alliance. You've got 
all these different things that uh, at least I, I would say they're smaller groups, but we wanted to organize something that had some really key people to um, represent the anglers and move forward on a lot of these issues. And it's not just the fishing, but there's other things that we provide too. You know, it's uh, we're working on getting some money for fixing up hatcheries and, and uh, public accesses. And I wish I had a ton of time to tell you about some of the stuff that's been accomplished already, especially on a public access side. We got some federal grant money and we actually got a couple of the accesses already fixed in redone up on the Winnie Cutfoot area and um, it, you know so it, it's kind of one of those things that we want to represent anglers in every possible way we can and, and just be a voice for them. I didn't realize and honestly until I heard this issue brought up by Min Fish I didn't realize that we had so many lakes that either didn't have a public access or had a public access and some serious need of repair. Yeah it's uh you know, when you spend a lot of time up north, as I do, but uh, and travel a lot and use a lot of accesses, uh, you know, I think that was one of the important part that we tried to bring forward to even the federal government when we were able to um, access that grant money to fix these accesses. It's a start. You know, this is just a start in a big project. And we want people to understand and we want legislators and that to understand that, you know, we need the funding to get this done. Uh, you know, Brenna, I want to throw something at you a little bit, just real quick. Uh, a lot of people don't even know how many people fish in Minnesota. Of the 5.8 million people live in Minnesota, 25%, 25% of the yeah. population goes fishing. And they spend $4.4 billion in fishing every year. So, you know, you, you think to yourself, economy-wise, how important fishing is to the state of Minnesota. And I don't think, you know, like, I don't think the public gets to really know those numbers and realize, but uh, 25% of the people fish. And I don't, I don't think the public realizes that. And I don't think sometimes our, our legislature and our elected I politicians agree. realize how important uh, fishing is to this state. And I sometimes, I think they forget that. And I think it, they need to be reminded of it constantly. No, I agree. I agree. You know, and it's the outdoors, you know, I mean, Minnesota is absolutely, I would say in the country, sure, you have different model things with elk and mule deer in Montana and Idaho and, and some of the fishing in Michigan and Wisconsin is pretty good, but it's not like Minnesota. You know, we have, I would say, the best diversified fishing of any state in the country, except, you know, maybe like Alaska or something, but in the lower 48, I think we do. So I've done I've done quite a bit of traveling, uh, usually for hunting trips, but I've gone to a number of different states where they either don't have hardly any lakes at all, or the lakes that they do have are a lot of, there are a lot of private lakes or they're pay to play, or, uh, you know, there's, there's no public access for them. People in Minnesota sometimes also, and this goes to the anglers, they don't always realize how good they've got it here. Well, they don't, you know, <laughs> but, you know, I don't know. I, I think that uh, the expectations and, you know, you got a lot of things running around, too. You got AIS stuff and, you know, the invasive species things and trying to fight against some of that. But all in all, you know, um, the quality of the water that we have in Minnesota really attains to real positive fishing reproduction and and they're just things that, uh, like you said, we, I don't think the legislators understand how important fishing is to Minnesota. Right. Maybe someday they will. 
we always hope for it. And I think Minfish's job is to push in that direction to make them understand that they're, if they invest in us, we will help to provide them with the best quality fishing that can be, you know, can be attained anywhere. And I think we have we have great fishing, but I think there's more work to be done, and, and hopefully uh, we at Minfish can help to attain that and get it done. Well, clean water is such an important issue, and it's something that even people that don't fish uh, should be concerned about because it, it affects everybody. And you, you brought up reproduction, and I wanted to ask you about that because uh, two key points were brought up by Minfish in this this summit uh, last week, and that was uh, public accesses and also stocking and more funding for the stocking programs in the state. And there's been numbers thrown around about five percent of the fish that get caught are are, are stocked. Uh, Brad Parsons brought up the fact that stocking will be done where it makes sense. How? How important do you feel that the stocking program is in Minnesota? And are there things that can be done to make it more successful or is it, or is it always gonna be a struggle for those stock fish? Uh, you know, I, I think it's, uh, it's kind of like a double-edged sword. You know, I understand that the DNR wants these lakes to take care of themselves and reproduce on their own, but you know, the stocking has to happen and has to be applied in areas where the numbers just don't, aren't there. What about all these lakes with these little munchy little northern pike and you're going to yeah. put a bunch of fry in there and they, they eat them like gumdrops, you know, and it, it's just, uh, you know, we, we look at, at different stuff like that and it, it's kind of important to understand that, that you, you have to have these lakes stock and even raising the size of the fish, you know, if a lake has got a, a real northern pike problem, then why aren't you putting fingerlings in those lakes like you used to? You know, don't pull the, you know, don't pull the fingerling stocking back because you feel that the fry is more cost efficient. Well, it might be cost efficient, but if you're not getting any, any bang for the buck by putting them in there, because they're getting eaten so fast, then what are you accomplishing? And it takes years. It takes years for this stuff to show its, uh, you know, to show its face. So I think those are some of the things that we're gonna, we're hoping to have another meeting with them uh, maybe later in the year. And I think one of the issues we're gonna talk to them about, it's gonna be the stocking. But I also have respect to them that if a lake can take care of itself and reproduce well and keep their numbers up uh, then that's something that they need to really look at upon not to be managing in an aggressive way and continue stocking. And I, I don't, you know, I don't want to get on the, on the horn on this deal, but you got to remember that if you continue to stock fish in a lake that has an overabundance of fish right now, say walleyes, okay, you're not doing it any good. You know, you're just pushing the button the opposite reverse way. And, and I think that those are the those are the complicated things that not only the public doesn't understand, it's taken me years. I mean, I've been on these committees for 16, 18 years. It's taken me a long time to realize it. But there are some lakes that shouldn't be stocked continuously because they're at capacity now. So there again, you know, it's kind of like a double edged sword. So, yeah, well, there, there's a reason some of those guys, you know, they went to buy, you know, went to school to be a biologist and I didn't. So there's going to be there's going to be quite a few things that they know better than I do. Uh, but but one thing I, I think a lot of people are getting on board with and I'm curious to know what Minfish if if Minfish has a position on this and that's lowering the walleye limits in the state of Minnesota 
or or keeping them on a lake by lake basis or or what do you think the future is for walleye limits you know brett i think i'm i'm supportive of the four walleye limit with the one over 20 i was and i have been for about six years but you know uh i think at times people i don't know i it it's been a very controversial subject and all everybody on minfish board doesn't uh, agree with the four walleye limit you know it's one of those things that we talk about and and we discuss it and it's not we don't put it up for a vote but um i think when we look at the pressure we look at electronics we look at um all the things that are are happening at, underneath the surface of the water i think we have to look at limiting ourselves of what we take um you know, sometimes uh, you look at all the large lakes, except for maybe Winnie and Cass, uh, they're all four now and have been four for quite a while. And they're very successful. The tourism is good. The fishing is good. In fact, it's better in some places. And so therefore, even with the biological part from some of these guys that say, no, it's never gonna change anything. You take a third of the limit away and you tell me that it's not gonna provide more fish in the next five to 20 years. I, I don't believe it, but there again, you know, I mean, I'm not a biologist. I'm like you, I, I, I don't have a PhD, but, yeah. uh, you know, so uh, this is kind of a personal question. You got a few gray whiskers there. I'm wondering if you had those before you joined the Mille Lacs council or the Mille Lacs committee or, or if that's just been a stressful time. I think it got gray or no, <laughs> <laughs> uh, it, it's, it is frustrating. It is. It is frustrating. I, I don't. I don't care what anybody says or thinks. It's frustrating because we can't do anything anymore. We're we're stuck. We're we're in a hole and we're stuck. And they have done everything that they can do. The fisheries uh, people and it's a shared. Uh, it's a shared fishery with the tribes. And um, I think the fishing is still very very good, but the lake is not. Uh, as healthy, I think, as other lakes are, like a leech or a winnie. Uh, they have year classes of fish that disappear, and they don't even know why. They don't even know where they go, and they don't even know who's eating what. But the problem is, is that I don't know. I don't know how long it's going to ever take for that lake to come back to where it was, if it ever does. And I think they're being very careful with it, and they watch it, and. Um, I, you know, it's a great catch and release lake, phenomenal. But it's just, uh, there's people, the one thing about walleyes is people like to catch them, but they like to eat them too. Yeah. If you give people enough to eat, you don't have to give them big limits, but if you give them enough to eat, a couple fish to take home each day when they go fishing, I think, I think it's enough, you know, and I, I just wish that Millax would go into a different direction and where you can go instead of one fish from 21 to 23, you know, is there some year classes that are coming up that can be exploited a little bit, you know, where maybe we could take two fish uh, home with us to eat? I don't know. That's going to be the, I think that's going to be a significant thing in the future and how the management of that lake takes place. Tom Heinrich is a phenomenal manager from the DNR. He is. He was up at uh, Lake of the Woods for 30 something years. And I think he's doing a great job, but I think there's only so much you can do. And um, I think it's frustrating to a lot of us on the committee and uh, it's okay. Uh, that's what uh, committees are about sometimes is trying to 
get the things accomplished and get them done. But boy, I'll tell you, it's it's been a tough ride. Yeah, I was surprised that it was going to be a twenty-one to twenty-three inch slot once again, and I'm and I'm wondering, is it because there's an abundance of fish in that in that year class, or is it because you can only keep one, and there's a good amount of fish in that year class, and you can get a fair amount of meat off a twenty-two inch walleye, or what? What's the reasoning for the twenty-one to twenty-three? Well, it's the numbers that were that are there, but they've got to be getting diminished because if you're if you're for three years you're accessing that size fish, it's got to get diminished. There is some younger fish coming up, but they're not as strong as that year class. So it's going to be uh, you know it's going to be interesting to see where that these new year classes come up and how many numbers are in them. I mean, I I think it's uh, totally uncertain at this point, but. I, I think, you know, these real successful walleye lakes like a Leech or a Winnie or a Rainy, uh, Red Lake, of course, I think when you look at having five to six year classes of fish coming up behind your harvest fish, uh, that really shows you that, you know, you've got something coming up that will really, you know, be the future of that lake. And right now, I'm not I'm not seeing it, not with the test uh, Chestnut results that I'm not seeing it, but there are a couple year classes that are strong, but not like the not like the 2017. No. Now on paper, it's easy to compare Malax to say Red Lake. Obviously, it's two different bodies of water, and I think Malax just. I think it's proximity to the Twin Cities metro area. Just, I think that lake just gets hit, hit so hard from anglers because of its proximity to a major population area. Uh, but what what differences and similarities between Red and Malax have you seen? And is there anything that's worked on one or the other that could that could work vice versa, or is it, or do you just have to look at them at, as two separate bodies of water? That's an easy one, Brett. Two separate bodies of water. Red Lake is uh, the perfect storm. You know, I mean, if, if you were going to design a lake that had all the, you know, everything for reproduction, uh, I, I would say a similarity of a lake like Red Lake would be your design. It's got the rock, the habitat. Uh, it's got all the spawning habitat, re good reproduction, good food. They've got perch shiners. They've got everything everything that a, a top-end walleye lake needs to reproduce fish on its own. Sure, was it stocked heavily, you know, back when it got exploited? Yeah, but once it came back, it came back strong. And you now you got, you know, you got four to five to six-year classes of fish in there. So, again, it's the perfect storm lake. Milax is different, more complex, uh, a lot different, more species, um, you know, more questions. You know, how come the perch population isn't coming back? Well, I think they're getting eaten, you know, more than anything. I think they're before they can uh, get to be a bigger fish, I think they're getting eaten. But I know, it's, you know, and that's my perception. And I think it's a more complex fishery. They're two different fisheries. Lake of the Woods benefited from that slot limit that they put in. I think that's one of the best things that 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 could have happened to that lake. But I think Lake of the Woods gets the benefit too of having so much water up in Canada uh, that it's just it's in a, a different it's in a different classification for walleye lakes in Minnesota. It's just a, an unbelievable fishery. But we're we're. Uh, blessed with a number of great walleye lakes thankfully here in minnesota so you have a lot of options and a lot of different 
lot of different lakes to go to as long as you can get on them. As long as there's a public access to get on them. There's a lot of places that you can go. Um, <clears throat> How do you think it's going to look? We got some weird weather before the weekend here. Do you think these storms are going to throw the fishing off a little bit here for the opener? It could. You know, it could. It depends. Uh, I, I I don't know. I I think that, the, the, you know, what what is we as human beings, what do we do? We eat. We got to eat. You know, to survive, we have to eat something. Maybe we don't eat as much one day over the other, but we have to eat. And, and wildlife's the same way and fish are the same way. Sure, there's fronts and storms that come through that can really knock the fishing for a day or so, but I, I think it just limits their, uh, you know, it limits their feeding cycle, but they, they got to eat. And uh, I think it, right now, um, I think with the fish either in the spawn or really in post spawn on some of the lakes, I think that uh, the fishing's still going to be good with the storm, even with the storms passing. Um, it might be better Sunday, Monday rather than Saturday, but I still think Saturday is going to be pretty darn good. Um, I, you know, they're going to be shallow, and I'm, I'm excited about it. Now you're up in that Grand Rapids area, Winnie, uh, Leach, uh, Cassidy. Where do you think we're at with the late spring when it comes to the spawn? And then how are the water levels? Are you guys pretty high up there? Yes. Yeah, we are. Yeah, we're high, and we need it. I got, I'll tell you, when you talked about, you know, accessibility to lakes last summer and fall, it was brutal. I mean, there was a lot of lakes we couldn't get into. Now, if you got a boat, you know, if you got an 18-foot boat or even 17 and bigger, it was tough. And uh, I, I was so happy to see the snow this year, and, and we've got a lot of water right now. Um, I would say cut foot, uh, if I was guessing, is probably up about 16 to 18 inches over last fall. And that's pretty significant. And, and, I, and I'm just guessing when I looked at the water level, so it might be even a little higher than that, but it was so low last year, it, it made getting out on all our lakes in the area really tough. Well, the governor's fishing opener is, is back. I guess it's kind of a weird, it's been kind of a weird year, obviously, where there were, there's some lingering COVID effects on planning and, and uh, putting together uh, an official opener. But now there's going to be some, some media invited and, and some things going on. And you're taking uh, Governor Walls out. Uh, do you, did you guarantee him a walleye Saturday morning? Oh, it's hard. I never do that. I, I <laughs> never can do that. I can't guarantee anything. politicians anybody. do it all the time. Come on, Tom. Yeah, I know. <laughs> I, you know, I have a great opportunity to get a bit and, and uh, it, it's like everything else, you know, fishing is uh, exactly what it is. It's fishing. So the catching is a bonus and uh, I'm going to do everything in my power to get a bit. And I just, uh, I, hopefully that, um, yeah, hopefully we can get on a few fish and catch them. You know, sure. I mean, I, I think, uh, you know, I, I just uh, I think it's a challenge to me. Uh, there's a little bit of pressure on me to do it. But it, it, you know what? When you're guiding for as many years as I've been guiding, you have pressure on a lot of your trips. And yeah. it's just a, to me, I look at this as it's a, an important client. And my job is to give him the opportunity to catch a fish. That's my job as a guide. And every, leave everything else somewhere else. Yeah, that's my job. Well, that you know that I think that would be the hardest part for me is just to leave, just to make it just about fishing and not 
just have at least one little political card, you know, in my back pocket that I want to, Hey, you know, maybe you should, maybe you should think about this, you know, on Monday when you're in the office, but you make it about fishing and you know, you're in the national freshwater fishing hall of fame, the Minnesota fishing hall of fame. I'm sure you can, I'm sure you can keep it just about fishing. Um, I'm sure you've been a part of the governor's opener before. Have you taken politicians out or celebrities or some other high profile clients before? Oh yeah. Many times. And, and, you know, and I've never taken uh, a governor fishing. Um, I have to, I have to say, I think I did, but it was so long ago. I forgot. His name. <laughs> <laughs> um, but no, I've been involved in organizing uh, more than just taking people fishing, you know, with the governor's side, but um, I've taken a lot of, you know, athletes, pro athletes, uh, you know, different high profile people, you know, one of my, one of my favorite customers in a, in, it was a it was a big time guy and and we we fished together for many years and he still calls me on the phone but but i think you know when you look at all my clients and this is i don't want it to sound corny but all my clients are important to me every client i don't care how they put their shoes on or their pants everyone is important to me i treat everybody the same no matter who they are and who they come from or where they come from and that's probably why I've been successful with what I did, because my clients know that, that every one of them is special. Did any of them ever surprise you? Like, wow, this, this person knows how to catch fish. Uh, yeah, you know, some do. I mean, you know, some will, some will surprise you that they're better fishermen than you anticipated. But, um, you know, sometimes uh, a lot of guys this last probably – I would say 15 years have brought their wives with them because they don't have the patience and they don't want to try to teach the wife how to fish, but they want her as their partner to be able to fish. So they bring them to me and I teach them. Well, some of these gals have become pretty darn good fishermen. And uh, it surprises me sometimes, but they, they listen a little bit better than the, than the, than the male occupants. <laughs> well, are you going to take, take the governor out at midnight or is it just going to be an early morning no. on Saturday? No, it's going to be an early morning deal. Do you ever, do you ever do the midnight thing anymore? No. <laughs> no. no that's, that, that was back in the day. And, and, and uh, you know, I always remember uh, a statement from Al Linder. He said, the fish will bite when you get to them, when you find them, they'll be there. It doesn't matter the time of day. <laughs> and, you know, and, and I think that's part of it. And I think that they, they have a process of what they do now. We don't, they don't have to go out at midnight. Yeah. I mean, just to be a true Minnesotan and say, Hey, I went out at midnight. Yeah. Well, I'll tell you what, did you get bit? No, never had a bite. Well, that's because they probably didn't bite at night. So, <laughs> <laughs> I mean, I like the idea of it, but yeah, maybe, maybe 20 years ago or uh, whatever, just to do it, do it just to say you did it. But it's, it's just so much easier when you do it, when it's light out. You know, uh, well, you can see, you, know? you can see. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> well, um, speaking of lenders, you're from Illinois originally. I'm from Chicago. Yes. And then did you know them when you were in Illinois? Uh, Alan Ron? You no, know, I met Al. Uh, I met Al and Dave Sanda from In Fisherman. I met them. I knew Dave before I knew Al, but I met them all in the 70s, late 70s. And Al and I have been friends. Oh, God, we've been friends for 35 years. Very, very close friends. And I think, 
you know, I have, I owe a lot. I, I would say Al has been one of the, the biggest mentors in my life in fishing and uh, great people. But the thing about people from Chicago and Illinois that why they're such good fishermen is because they just don't have any fish to catch there. So, so they have to be very good at it uh, in order to get bit. So then when you move up here, it's like utopia. You know, it's like the promised land. And uh, and I think that's why we we were such good fishermen because we just didn't have much to catch. So we had to be very good at it. <laughs> so you moved to Grand Grand Rapids then from Chicago. Did you know, I mean, did you, did you do it for the, to, to work with lenders or did that, was that just a byproduct of moving up here? Oh, I think it's a byproduct. You know, I got a deputy sheriff's job up here, but I was guiding on Lake Geneva in uh, Southern Wisconsin for a couple of years before I moved up here. But a friend of mine had moved here from, he had originally lived here and moved back here from Chicago, invited me up and I fell in love with it. And the fishing was off the charts, but, but it was the country and the people. And I just thought, you know, this is where I want to live. You know, this, this is a place I want to be. And uh, I think that's what kind of drove me here. I took a year off uh, and fished every day off I had and I fished about a dozen lakes, learned them. And then I hung the shingle out and started guiding. I think it was in 1980 and uh, it's been, uh, it's been a run ever since. So you were in law enforcement. Did you do that in Chicago? Yes. Oof. Oh boy. How was that? Well, you know, it was, uh, it was different. (laughs) I can tell you that. I, I just, uh, uh, I had a tough job there. I was uh, a narcotics investigator. I worked some really tough jobs down there. And um, I, I think, you know, I got shot up pretty bad um, in 1971. And I recovered from that. And um, after that, I, of course, after that, I got promoted to investigator. And then after a few years doing that, it's just like in your mind, you want to go to somewhere where you feel comfortable where you feel that you can make a difference and I think my whole fishing career even when it started I I never thought about that but as time went on I think that's who I am is I've always wanted to make a difference in the fishing community and I think it was taught to me very well by the lenders and um, I'm a a byproduct of that so um, it's been fun I, I I wouldn't trade places with anybody. I wouldn't. I, I love my I love my life and I love my job. We'll, we'll keep it on on the fishing side. So for anybody else that's going to be heading out on Saturday morning, what advice would you give them? Well, you know, I think the fish are going to be shallow on most of the lakes. You know, I, I think at times we kind of throw it into a, a bag of tricks and say, oh, yeah, you got to fish shallow. That's the only way you're going to get bit. Pay attention to your weather. Uh, if the water starts warming up too quick for you, then you need to drop off a little bit. You need to go out to that uh, 14, uh, even as deep as 20 feet. If they're done spawning and they've been done spawning for two weeks or so, those fish are going to drop down. The males will stick around. But right now, I would say up where I'm going to be, I'm going to probably be fishing oh, 6 to 12 feet. Um, right along the areas of spawning, you know, spots that I know that the fish have used for spawning, uh, even on the north end of Lake Winnie and the west side of Winnie, I would I would fish even as shallow as four feet up there because hmm. you're going to be fishing mostly males. But um, I think on most of the lakes, you know, in the whole northern region, I think uh, 
you know, what did somebody teach me one time? Where are the fish? They're shallow, deep, or in between. <laughs> and, and, you, and you, you know, I, I think I would start shallow. And if you're not getting bit, keep coming out a little bit, you know, keep moving out, you know, four to five to six feet at a crack. And eventually you're going to find them and they're going to be active. They're going to be chewing. They're, they want to eat. Uh, they've gone through the spawning ritual or they're in the middle of it and they do want to eat. But, um, you know, if you're after a trophy fish, eh, I would say another couple of weeks would probably be your, you know, the best way to approach that. But, you know, if you want to get bit, I, stay shallow. And, and then, yeah, like I say, if, if you're not getting bit, keep moving out a little bit. But, um, you know, kind of look for rock and rubble. Um, if there's any existing weeds coming up or old weed beds, kind of stay on the outside edges of those. And jig and minnow is the deal. I'm, I'm definitely uh, confident if you fish a jig and minnow in these areas, you're going to get bit. Um, can you fish a slip bobber and a leech? Water's a little cold right now. I would, uh, would kind of stay away from that for another week or two for sure till it warms up but i think uh trolling crankbaits at night uh in the evening or early in the morning um i'm sure that'll work a little bit for you too but chicken minnow is going to be that's that's my go-to bait right now well i'm looking forward to putting a few in uh in the live well i you know i it, it's so hard because i love to eat fish and i love to eat walleye but i'm also a big proponent of sustainability and protecting our resource so it's I, it's always a conflicting message when i say i'm looking forward to a fish fry but i think uh what you alluded to earlier is keeping a couple to eat you don't have to keep limits you don't have to go out there and get everybody's limit in the boat i'm i don't need to eat four fish i can go back out and catch more if i want to eat some more so so I'm looking forward to having some fish and just having a, a good opener. I've been looking forward to this day uh, for a long time. So I wish you well. Wish you good luck on uh, Saturday. Good luck with the governor. And uh, I'll, I'll leave you with this. Uh, one last question of what do you think the future of fishing in Minnesota looks like? Oh, I think it's very strong. Um, I, I think, you know, when you get a group even like Minfish that's helping to keep things on track, but I, but I think people are starting to get more interested on the future of fishing. You know, uh, limits aren't the most important thing to them in the world. Uh, it's, it's just exactly what you said, Brett. Keep enough to eat. Keep a few fish to eat, you know, and, and then you can go back out another time. Now, you know, sometimes you get this controversy about, well, I'm from Illinois or I'm from Iowa. And I want to take a limit home. Well, you know, eat some fish up here and take a few home, but don't. Don't think that you have to crash the freezer with, with limits of fish all the time when you're, when you're either living here or you're a tourist. So I think, you know what, leaving some, taking some, and we're going to ensure that there's going to be fish forever, you know, in our lifetimes anyway. And I, I think conserving fish right now is going to be a real challenge for some people, but it's something that they have to think about. So it was a great point, Brett. You know, keep a couple nice meal to eat and, uh, you know what? If you need some more, go out, go back out and catch them. That's and right. you'll get a few more. So, okay. You betcha. All right, Tom Newstrom, uh, Minnesota Fishing Connections. It's mnfishingconnections.com, right? That's correct. mnfishingconnections.com. Tom, uh, good luck on Saturday. Thanks for the time today on the show. Well, thank you for having me. I enjoyed it very much. Thanks. This has been the Finding Fins Fishing Podcast, part of the Sporting Journal Radio family. Subscribe wherever you get podcasts or go to FindingFins.com and make sure to like our sponsors. 
Northern Minnesota's Walleye Factory is a year-round world-class fishing destination. The perfect getaway this summer is just a short drive to Lake of the Woods. Fish Big Traverse Bay, the Rainy River, or visit the unique Northwest Angle. To catch big fish, you have to go where the big fish are. Plan your trip to Lake of the Woods at lakeofthewoodsmn.com. That's lakeofthewoodsmn.com. 